There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Following On Ashes Inquest on TalkSport as John Norman and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison look back at day two of the first Ashes test between England and Australia at Edgbaston, with Australia closing on 311 for five, trailing by 82 runs heading into day three. We'll have updates, of course, on TalkSport from 11am. Don't forget we'll be back on TalkSport from 7pm on Sunday evening, reacting to day three. But please note, the show is a repeat, so please don't try call or text into the show. But for now, this is following on Ash's Inquest on TalkSport. On DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following on, Ash's Inquest on TalkSport. What a performance. Well, good evening and welcome to the show. Myself, John Norman at Edgbaston. And Steve Harmison as well at the back end of another intense and attritional day of Ashes cricket. And it was a day that started with England hitting the highs that we experienced on day one, this time with the ball. And it was Stuart Broad who injected us all with some early exhilaration. David Warner has just dragged on and Stuart Broad has got his man again. Broad then, incredibly, went one better. Two wickets and two balls. The wicket of Marnus Labashane this time with an outswinger. The crowd here were on their feet. And then, on the stroke of lunch, the one all of England wanted. Get out! Get out, Stephen Smith! <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Smith! On your way, son! <laughs> the remainder of the day, though, well... It went Australia's way, and uh, they were thankful for Usman Khawaja's first century in England. Usman Khawaja has just opened the face and steered the delivery from Ben Stokes down to the boundary at third and set off immediately. Huge cheer from the batter as he uh, realised that shot would take him to 100. But boy, will England rue four crucial moments on a day that ended up belonging to Australia. First up, Cameron Green, reprieved behind the stumps by Johnny Bairstow, who missed a straightforward stumping. Green had only faced two deliveries. Then, in the evening session, a drop catch, this time from the bat of Alex Carey. He's still there at stumps, 52 not out. And then with a new ball, 
Stuart Broad castled the centurion Kawaja, only to have found he'd overstepped. The drama didn't end there, because late in the evening, with the uh, shadows lengthening here in Birmingham, it was Carey again with a slice of good fortune. He reached 50 by edging between wicketkeeper and Joe Root at slip. So, Australia ending the day, 82 behind England. Kawaja 126 not out. And Australia now looking like they're going to be the ones with their first innings lead. Steve Harmison, another pulsating day of cricket here at Edgbaston. Uh, plenty to talk about, but we should start at the beginning, really. Uh, and the best thing that happened from an English perspective, Stuart Broad showing once again he's the man for the big occasion. He is. And a lot of questions about leaving Stuart out. I was one of them. I still think England could have done with a bit of pace, um, but you've got to try and, and, and it's easy saying, you know, to, to pick, because I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about Ben Folks later on and where you fit everybody in, but you just can't leave Stuart Broad out of the ashes. You just can't. He was, he, I, thought England had a, I thought England had a good day today. I thought Australia had a, a better day than England, but it started unbelievable. And you know, I, I thought he... The eight, ten balls he bowled just before that to to um, to David Warner, I think set up. He bowled, the worst ball he bowled, he got the wicket with. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure Stuart will say he was meaning to push it up there and get it to, to come back. <laughs> he it just didn't. He did. He said, I think he said on Sky, he said it was a... Uh, he could take... The, how did he phrase it? Essentially, he said on a slow pitch like this, a drag on is a justifiable wicket to aim for. Yeah, and I think he was trying I think I think he was trying to bring it back. He's been working and he's been telling the world that he's been working on his outswinger. Um and because to, to be fair, he's, he hasn't bowled much swing in recent times. He's, he's hit the pitch hard. He's bowled on a lot of cutters, a lot of good length areas. Um he's bowled more probably reverse swing than he has you know, not, you know, a conventional swing over the course of his sort of last five or six years, I would say, where wherever he's been in the world, he's used the, the, the nip in the pitch rather than, you know, try to swing with the elements of, of overhead. And he said he's been working on this away swinger and he got it a couple of times. Um, and I think that was what he was trying to do to David Warner. But as a bowler, you set up. You, Jimmy Anderson's the master. It's setting a batsman up. And when you talk about it to young bowlers, it's don't try and get a wicket every ball. You put a batter in a position where you either move him across the crease or you get him back in his crease to then either drag him forward or go for the LBW. And I think when you, if you look back again, Warner, he was you know, into his sort of midriff, into his top of his pads, knee roll. He was having to play from the crease with no real foot movement. And he got this ball full and wide and he's thrown the kitchen sink at it. And obviously the form he's in and the way things are going for David Warner at the minute. He, uh, he totally off balance, inside edge, onto the stumps, and number 15 for Steve, uh, for, for Stuart Broad against David Warner, and it set the Hollies crowd ridiculously wild. Oh, absolutely, it did. It was it was absolutely phenomenal because, of course, David Warner last night he played a couple of, you know, really sumptuous cover drives, but that was a wild shot. He lost his body positioning totally, and uh, he might find it was a little bit unfortunate that ball could have gone absolutely anywhere. It went into the stumps. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen the miss. We've seen them hit. Uh, it's one of those things. But uh, hey, um, of course, it is always about Warner, isn't it? But today, Australia's other opener uh, really made a huge difference, possibly. 
to the course of this match, maybe the series, we shall see. Uh, Usman Khawaja, beautiful scenes actually here. I'm on the gantry overlooking the pitch. He came off the field, Harmy, and he's, uh, he's got two children here with him and his wife as well. And what a moment that was. And then he's just been in the press conference with uh, one of his daughters sitting on his knee. So it's, uh, it's all real wholesome stuff here in Edgbaston. And, uh, you know, stop being so likeable, Usman. <laughs> We're not supposed to like you guys. Anyway, let's hear from Usman Kowaja, uh, trying to sum up the emotions after scoring uh, that 100 today. I think it was a culmination of three Ashes tours in England and being dropped in two of them. And I don't read the media. I genuinely do not read the media. But, I mean, I'm getting sprayed by the crowd as I'm walking out there today. And as I'm going to the nets, that I can't score runs in England. So I guess it was just... Uh, bit more emotional than normal. I feel like I'm saying this all the time. Same thing happened in India. Um, not that I have a point to prove, but it's it's nice to go out and, and score runs for Australia and just to show everyone that, you know, the last 10 years hasn't been a fluke. Oh, mate, absolutely. I was at, I was at his debut. And there was real excitement as well. Uh, Sydney, 2011. Australia were kind of like, they were, they were searching for a new hero. It was that series, of course, at... England uh, triumphed, and that doesn't happen often. Uh, first time since 85-86, uh, and uh, England haven't come close since. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders. I remember his, uh, the cameras kept turning to his mum and dad in the, in the crowd. Uh, I think he made 37, and he was out to the final ball just before the, uh, the heavens opened. Graham Swan had his man, and, you know, he, he was, uh, there was a lot of pressure on him. Uh, and he also spent a lot of time out of the team. Two and a half years outside, out of the team uh, between 2013-2015. Uh, that Ashes series uh, when Darren Lamer was the coach. And then again, 2019, here in England. And he sat out uh, under Justin Langer up until 2022. The start of last year. And what a return to the Australian side it's been for Kawaja. 300s this year. Uh, South Africa, India, and now today against England. Uh, we'd love you to get involved, by the way, if you're listening. You want to give us your thoughts on what happened yesterday with the declaration and how does that affect things now, of course. Would it have been better for England to have batted for an hour this morning? They'd still possibly have a lead in excess of 150. Um, who knows? But uh, get in contact, 81089, or call us 03717 or uh, via Twitter, at Fulham John, at Harmy611. We have had people getting in contact. Uh, uh, Patrick Beam said, I said yesterday, Stokes declared 100 short of what England needed. I'm not sure they would have scored 100 more, but, you know, uh, I haven't changed my mind on that. And Neil Bowton says, it's only a slight advantage that Australia have. Two early wickets tomorrow. We're still in this game. Um, but he does uh, feel that the uh, the declaration isn't looking brilliant at this moment. Uh, Harmy, that's it, isn't it? So it's, it's tomorrow. We, we've got plenty to talk about today, of course. But England, come back tomorrow. Get rid of Carey. We talked about the tail yesterday with Jared. Um, they're going to feel, look, if they get a 20-30 run lead, that could still prove to be, you know, a, a huge psychological boost with uh, two and a half days still to go. Absolutely. I don't think anybody will be talking about, I was talking about a declaration at 29 for two this morning as Manus Labashian, the best batter in the world, was walking <laughs> well, back very towards you, John. So all ifs and buts. I love that. I, 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 hey, I love the... Uh, the uh, what is it? I, I love the the confidence in Jimmy Anderson to say we we're going to get another hundred runs from from there. And I'm sure Jimmy will, will say he would have he would have he would have been right in for the fight out in the in the middle in the battle of the Ashes. But 
all ifs and buts. Did Ben Stokes made a decision? People will say right or wrong. I think Australia had a really good day today. I don't think England had a bad one. I thought England had a good day as well. I thought it was a pulsating day of Test match cricket, John. I thought Kawaja, I thought played fantastic. I thought he was patient in the first session. He upped the tempo in his second session. He punished anything that was short, and that was the difference. You know, short ball to head. You are a little bit flat-footed and static. He's short ball to Kawaja, bang. He's, he changed direction very, very quickly, nimble on his feet. Played spin quite well. Um, he, he deserved the, He got a bit of a lifeline. I thought he deserved his 100. This is a guy who's probably... He, he is. He's, he's in the last chance saloon bar, and so was David Warner. You know, he's been dropped seven times, I think, by Australia. So, you know, fair play to him. And I've seen the, the, the pictures that... You know, you shared a little bit earlier, and it was great to see him with his family. It shows the, the human element of the game. But I think England are still in a good position. You've got to remember, Australia got to bat last on this. Australia have to bat last on this wicket. So if it becomes you know, 50-50 and it's a one-innings game, I wouldn't fancy face, I wouldn't fancy chasing 220 on this. England, England chased, what did they chase? 350 above last year against India. When yeah. Joe Root got a ridiculous hundred, this is nowhere near the type of pitch. Nah, nowhere near. This is turning. So I'd worry if England were batting last on it because Nathan Lyon, and that's no disrespect to Mo and Ali, because I thought Mo bowled really good today at times. But England are still in a good position here. They really are. 82 is a lot of runs, especially if Usman Kawaja gets out before that you know, deficit gets below 50. So it's okay. not all in doom and gloom. OK, well, no, it isn't. You're right, it's too early for doom and gloom. Doom and gloom can wait. <laughs> so it, might, it might rear its head at some point. Um, let's hear from uh, your former teammate, Paul Collingwood. Um, and he was asked about how he, has, how he uh, the, uh, the, one of the coaching staff, of course, here within the England setup, how he assesses today's play. It's been another great day of test cricket. Um, you know, we would like to take those chances. We're probably half an inch away from... Um, taking all their wickets tonight, so it's went far away, um, but we're still in a magnificent position um, in this game. You know, 80 odd runs. Um, that wicket isn't going to get any better as it goes on. Um, and we always knew the Ashes was going to be an exciting contest, and um, you know they they played really well. Kawaja played fantastic today. Um, so. It's been another good good day of Test cricket. Yep, it has been another good day of <laughs> Test cricket. Loads to talk about. You're listening to uh, Following On, Ashes Inquest with myself, John Norman, Steve Harmison as well. Uh, we're going to talk about those... Uh, Missed opportunities for England as well. We're going to hear uh, from uh, David Bumble Lloyd and please get involved as well. Uh, Hugh Owen Jones says on uh, Twitter, it's not so much the declaration. The problem with this whole series is going to be uh, difficult to take 20 wickets in a game. Our bowling attack is average. Well, uh, we'll get Steve Harmison's thoughts on that very shortly here on Talk Sport. This is following on. Uh, Ashes Inquest. Hitting you for six with top order cricket conversation. Following on Ashes Inquest on TalkSport 2. Sam Ellard's been alongside me for uh, most of today and yesterday as well. And uh, I sent him out to go and find out who's around. And he came back with an interview with uh, one of our favourite people, uh, the England cricket legend uh, and broadcaster, David Lloyd, who began by giving his verdict on Moeen Ali's performance on day two here at Edgbaston. 
He'll have felt nerves, definitely, having said that I don't want to play test match cricket and then Stokes persuading him that you need to. But Stokes, once again, like he did with Jack Leach, believes in him. Mm -hmm. They were obviously going to go after him, Australia, and they hit him for some big, fearsome shots. But he kept him bowling and kept him bowling and up to date, he had two wickets. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's a testimony to the captain as well, that Moeen responded to the call. But there's no hiding place at Test Match Cricket. He's thrown him the ball and he's got tank for sixes and fours, but he's kept coming back and there's evidence now that the ball's starting to spin. Just final question, Bumble. Um, you've been involved in cricket for many, many years as a player, a coach, an umpire, a, a commentator, a columnist. But this England team and the way they're playing, we've seen nothing like it before, have we? Just what are your thoughts on what we've witnessed over the last year and this series? Did, did you feel as if there was even more excitement around this series given the success of the England team over the last 12 months? Yeah, I think the, it, given notice that the way they've been playing cricket uh, and the brand of cricket as they would say that they're playing and it takes me back to 2005 when England had an absolutely crack outfit who took on a brilliant Australia team mm-hmm. Kevin Peterson, Hoggard, Flintoff Simon Jones, Harmison a wonderful attack with Ashley Giles backing them up and I thought it captured the imagination this time like that but it's the brand of cricket that they're playing and it's a coming together of Key, McCullum and, and Ben Stokes. And they've said, I'm absolutely certain, looking from outside in, that, OK, 2020 cricket's this, we're going to match it. We're going to play that similar brand of cricket and get everybody in, on the edge of the seats where, by tradition, you come to a test match. Years and years ago, it would be, you know, let's, we don't get beat, let's have yeah. a draw. That's gone. They just want to win. Declaring. We're the best player in the world on 118 <laughs> not out. We'll declare now. Yeah. No, he needs nonsense. And don't forget, the four overs that he bowled, the best bowler that England have ever had, he doesn't open with him. Yeah. And then, in today, in today's play, he throws the ball in damp conditions, not damp conditions, overcast conditions, gives it to Harry Brook. Yeah, I, I thought, well, duck, it's going to come on any minute. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean that's crazy, isn't it? But yeah. do you, I mean, I should have brought said, didn't he, before the series? We'd rather lose three-two in a Belt River series than win three-nil when you know it's forgettable. We move on. Do you actually believe that? Because I genuinely think that this England team would sacrifice an Ashes win for a series that captured the imaginations of, of the British public. They're, they're carrying a standard for Test match cricket, and I'm absolutely convinced about that. Um, the way that he captains the side and the way that he's given notice, and, and you know. McCullum goes about his business. I know Rob Key inside out, and they want to entertain and they want they want cricket to be at the forefront of all sports in the UK because that's what you do. You battle against all the other sports that are going on, and so they want them to be at the forefront. And it's exciting. It, it's a type of thing where you get on the edge of your seats because you don't really know what's going to happen. And they are excellent players. They're real class. That's uh, David Lloyd speaking with Sam Ellard. Uh, talking about the bowling, talking about the surprising bowling selection. Seven bowlers used before lunch here on day two. Uh, our bowling attack is average, says uh, Hugh Owen-Jones. Your <laughs> thoughts on that, Harvey? Yeah, you can't say, come on, Hugh. You, you can't say that the bowling attack is average. England's bowling attack today had 1,773 wickets in it. So I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's average. I think the surface tells you that we possibly needed a little bit of injection and pierce, but I keep going back to saying, it's easy saying, and we'll come up best though, over folks. You know, Broad, Broad or Robinson, who I thought was a little bit below par, Robinson, over Wood. Yes, these are decisions that are easy made in the pool bar, easy made sitting here in TalkSport Towers. 
it's not as easy trying to fit 13 into 11. And for me, I thought England battled hard. And whenever you look at a bowling attack, you've always got to say, right, did they bowl the best they possibly can do? I thought they tried very, very hard. And sometimes you look at the opposition and say, you know what? They played well. Usman Karaja played well. So I don't think we've got an bowl, average bowling attack at all. Uh, OK, then. Uh, let's just talk about those. Uh, oh, I tell you what, you know, shall we hear from Paul Collingwood? Because I, I think he has been speaking uh, post-match about that decision to bowl Harry Brook um, uh, before the lunch break. Let's hear, let's hear what he had to say. I think Ben was just, um, <laughs> I think that was Ben's plan <laughs> at the time. Um, it just shows how kind of maverick that the team can be at certain times. Um, Harry's just said that if he gets a newer ball, he reckons he can take four or five wickets, but I'm, um, I'm not too sure he's going to get a new, <laughs> newer ball. But he's, um, no, he's, he's a great character and, you know, sometimes um, putting a ball around like that can um, affect someone's um, concentration and uh, I thought it was a good try today. Well, Harry Brook was brought on to bowl before Moeen Ali, Joe Root and Ben Stokes himself. And do you know what? His three over... He actually had two spells, actually. He had two spells. He bowled one over uh, in the morning session and then he was brought back for two overs just before the second new ball was due. And Steve Smith... Uh, I mean, you could say Steve Smith's in the top five batters of all time of, from any nation of any age or mm. era... And he, uh, he played him defensively. So there you go. Does that give you an idea of how possibly England's tactics have got into the heads of the Aussies? Yeah, but that's, for me, that's, that again, this, this, the Stokes masterstroke of, right, we've got an intense character and you've just described, and I agree, he's one of the best players, arguably will go down as one of the best players this modern generation's ever produced, Steve Smith. So intense, so... If you're thinking of bringing Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad and them on for a, a spell, then why not take him out of his comfort zone? Because he's so in, so focused on what's coming next. Anderson, six or nearly 700 wickets. Broad, nearly 500 to 600 wickets. And it worked at the end of the day because Usman Khawaja should have been out because, well, Stuart Broad, he kept his foot behind the line. And Usman Khawaja's, the, the dismissal for Usman Khawaja when Broad bowled him, was as if he was facing Harry Brook. He was 78, 68 mile an hour, just patting it back, patting it back, patting it back. And then all of a sudden, Stuart Broad come on, got one to swing back onto our stump. And Kawaja's foot movement and body movement was as if he was, he was miles away from it. And so when you look at it, it's not a, I don't think it's a grand plan from Ben, but you can see that sometimes taking somebody out of their comfort zone. Bumble's mentioned one man there, one of my best mates, Rob Key. In Perth, and in Adelaide, I think it was, he faced Brettley, or Sydney, I think it was, facing Brettley 100 mile an hour. And I mean, he played him, not with ease, but, you know, comfortable. And then Damian Martin came on once, and Steve Walker came on once, and got him out both times. So you just never know with part-time bowlers like that, because the batter just doesn't know how to face them. Um, get in contact, lots of people have been. Text us on uh, 81089, call us at 0371722344 or via Twitter, cricket underscore TS. Um, there is a big uh, topic and one that we could take past the break, actually. Johnny Bairstow, of course, you know, he batted beautifully yesterday. Real up-tempo innings, a crucial partnership with uh, Root. Um, which took England from 176 for five to 297 for six, pulled off a, a storming catch, early doors, diving to his right. But he's given it two reprieves. 
Carey dropped on 26. He's still there. And that missed stumping. I mean, how different could this day have been if Carey, or rather Green, is out second ball? And Moby's taken two and three. And that debate will continue, won't it? Was Absolutely. it the right decision? Was it the right decision? And I suppose we won't know the answer until the end of the series. But, you know, those 78 runs he made yesterday, he's cost England a couple today. Yeah, and, and, and Johnny will know that. And the right decision was made. I, I will, I'm still 100% behind that. I think what highlights it is that when we look for a specialist wicketkeeper to go to the subcontinent, it was evident in that little passage of play with, with Cameron Green because of the, the, the sort of quality gloveman work that Ben Folks can give. Johnny Bairstow took an excellent catch standing back. He stood back, I thought, really well today. He took a lot of things going. He kept England's you know, enthusiasm going. Energy was good. But these little finer details of you know, concentration, which probably lacks quite a few of these England players, um, because of the volume of cricket they've played in recent times, I think showed in that last session. I thought, not just Johnny, but I thought there was quite a few sloppy moments in that last session. But Cameron Green gets stumped when he when he ran down the wicket. All of a sudden, Australia could be all out now and England could be 110, 120 in front. But again, it's all ifs and buts. comes back to what I said before. You can only get 11 on the field. You pick the best 11 balanced that you think can win a cricket match. And I still think England have made the best decision for the team in a collective unit to win a cricket match. Johnny Bairstow over Ben Folks because of the all-round package. Yeah, Test match five, end of the Ashes. Well, that time will tell. But you know, I think there was a lot of tightness, not just with Johnny, but quite a few other people today out there in that last part of the game. OK, well, look, get involved. Let us know. Do you think it was the right decision? Do you think it was the wrong decision? Um, it's a game of opinion. So uh, feel free to drop us uh, a message at Fulham John at Harmy61 at cricket underscore TS. You're listening to uh, following on Ash's Inquest with myself, John Norman and Steve Harvison. Uh, plenty more to come on the show. We're going to be joined uh, here at Edgbaston by uh, one half of the grade cricketer. Um, if you're a cricket fan, you'll no doubt know about uh, that show. Um, uh, both uh, uh, Sam and his partner uh, in crime, Nick, are over here for uh, the first couple of test matches. I think you're going to be appearing at one of their stage shows in Leeds. So Sam's going to be with us uh, in about 15 minutes' time. And we've still got plenty to talk about uh, after another day of, uh, of intrigue and entertainment here at Edgbaston. You're listening to Following On, Ash's Inquest. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On DAB, online, on the app, and on your smart speaker. Order, order. All rise for following on Ash's inquest on TalkSport 2. Today, day two at Edgbaston was uh, a dress in blue for Bob Day. Uh, Bob Willis, the former England uh, captain, uh, former England fast bowler uh, who played for Warwickshire uh, for many, many years and, of course, starred in Ashes campaigns himself. Sadly passed away a few years back uh, due to uh, prostate cancer. Um, uh, And uh, he leaves the game with so many memories. Uh, Let's just listen to a couple of those right here. Really was a difficult delivery. He's gone. Very good piece of bowling from Bob Willis. Oh, what a good catch. And the Australian captain goes for naught. Caught both them, bowled Willis. Oh, good catch. Super catch out. Yallop has gone without scoring. Absolute misery for Australia there. 58 for four. And what joy for England. Three to Willis. He's got a touch on it. He's gone. In the air. Dilly is underneath it. And he's got it! Willis has taken his fifth wicket. Yes, he's got a touch and he's gone. Willis has taken his sixth wicket. Bowl him. It's all over. And it is one of the most fantastic victories ever known in Test cricket history. Bob Willis, eight wickets. Yeah, just a few uh, moments of magic there. And Harmy, I suppose both you and I, we remember Bob, don't we? But... We probably missed. Um, we probably missed the, the beginning of his career for England. We just got the last, I would say, what three or four years of it. I, I imagine I'm a couple of years older than you, but um, I still remember he was such a distinctive um, presence on a cricket field. And then, of course, within the Sky commentary box, he became such a distinctive voice as well. He was, yeah, and it was a yeah the, the run up where he shuffled in sideways and then you know, charged in from literally what looked like the boundary and more often than not on these grounds now which have been brought in it would have been from the boundary um a brilliant fast bowler you know over you know 300 you know 350 wickets i think he got for for england and i thought sky I, honestly i thought today was absolutely brilliant you know, Ian Ward did a brilliant job at, at hosting what was blue for Bob Deere. It was tough watching at times with the family, um, seeing his, his daughter and um, just a, a fantastic tribute to a, a great man who probably slagged me off for the best part of seven years during my international career <laughs> every night. I turn the TV on when I get back to the room and there's Bob having a go. Harmison should not be playing. What are you doing, Harmison? That was atrocious. 
and then I had the pleasure of, of working with him on a night time, him and Charles Colville, in a show not too dissimilar to this. Um, and I found what an unbelievable character, what an absolute gentleman, an encyclopedia of the game he was, um, and died far too young. Um, and it was a brilliant tribute for him today, Blue for Bob. Yeah, well, look, as, uh, as luck would have it, this week you sat down, didn't you, with Mike Brearley? We heard yes. a little bit of this yesterday, actually. Uh, legendary England captain, of course, who, who captained Bob to those heroics in 1981. Uh, and he was uh, in conversation with yourself, Harmy, uh, discussing what it was like to captain Bob Willis. Just one more on that series, because I've got to mention him. Yeah. He, he, it was an unbelievable human being, and it's so sad that Bob Willis is not no yeah. longer with yeah. us. But yeah. I want to take you back to, to Bob at, at Headingley, because yeah. during my time, my career, Bob Willis gave me so much stick. I mean, every night he used to hammer me on the TV, tell me I'm not very good, tell me I was this, tell me I was that. And then I got to work with him for the best part of 10 years and he was the, he is the nicest man I, I have ever I met. Yes. And I mean, his encyclopedia brain of cricket yes. was unbelievable. Yes. But take me back to that, yes. you're standing next to him at the top of his mark, yeah. downhill yes. at Headingley. Yeah. One, why did he bowl downhill? Because he normally went up it. Yes, he was and worried about bowling his balls. Yeah. His eyes were just so wide. And I know, yes. He, he, he gets into... He got into. What did you say to him? In the zone, mm. sort of zone, and you know, I would run, and he's got great long strides, <laughs> and I'd run alongside him, and I'd try and say, you know, Goose, you're doing all right, you know, maybe, uh, maybe just a bit further up or a bit straighter, or you know, what about a few bounces or something, you know, whatever it was, mm. I thought, and you and you you weren't quite sure anyone in Goose, you know, <laughs> but he was, and he liked, he told me he liked it, yeah. Sometimes a wicketkeeper, you know, Bob Taylor or, or Alan Knott would also do the same sort of thing because they were, the ball was coming into their gloves. They yeah. knew the real, when he was really on Hit song, it, yeah. when he wasn't quite. So, yes, uh, Bob was a fantastic bloke. And it was partly a front, that savage critical critic yeah, yeah, well, that so you're yeah. talking about. But it was also something, he was like that as well. I mean, he mm. was quite severe on people if he thought they weren't doing what they could have done, mm -hmm. including himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, he would say about a batsman like Derek Randall or David Gower got out playing a loose shot after getting 40 or 50, and he couldn't stand, you know, fast bowlers yeah. don't like that, they do they? Know, definitely. Oh, you yeah. you want to keep batting, keep yeah. them keep batting. And he would say they've got to be spoken to. <laughs> and he would speak to them, and so would I, yeah. but, you know, yeah. or, or the manager. But anyway, he was, yes, he was a great man, and yeah. I was very fond of him. Uh, brilliant stuff. Well, look, we'll um, be replaying and playing out that interview in full via the following on podcast feed, which is also where you can hear this show um, uh, shortly after we finish broadcasting at 8 p.m. every evening throughout the summer after every day of uh, the Ashes, myself and uh, Steve Harmison. And if you do want to um, donate to the charity, uh, then head online to a bobwillisfund.org. Org. Um, we uh, we haven't spoken at great length um, about uh, Moeen Ali today, Harmi. I know we've kind of addressed a little bit, but um, give us a bit more of how you felt he went. And also, a little word on Ben Stokes' captaincy, because he was expensive after lunch, wasn't he? And I think there would be many captains that would have hauled him off. Seven overs, one maiden, naught for 45, uh, with both Carey and Kawaja. Um, seemingly pick him off really driving airily over his head over mid off over mid on which were both up inside uh well not the circle but you know what i mean they were stationed there rather than on the boundary and then yet 
he kept him on, he persevered, and he got the wicket, and actually he could have got two and two and three balls. Yeah, he could have had more than just six figures. If you just sit here and come in from from work or you've been playing cricket or whatever and you've come in for the other day and you see the scorecard and you see 29 overs, four maidens, two for 124, I don't think that tells a full story. I really don't. I think Mo and Ali bowled a lot better than that. He had a, a little bit of misfortune with you know, missed chances. Um, ben Stokes kept the field up. Yeah, you know, he, he did that where he does that with with Jack Leach. He trusts his bowler. He asks him to bowl a certain line. There was the odd drag down, and and I think like Johnny Bairstow and one or two others, I think there was a bit of fatigue in the in the the latter part of the day. I also have a little concern on his fingers because he was spraying them, and I just hope that his spinning finger hasn't you know split because if it has, he had them problems before, and and that was a real pain pain in the backside for 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 Moen. But I think all in all, I thought he bowled reasonably well I thought he changed his pace very very well in the uh, in the early part of the of the uh, of the day um, and he kept his fielders up because he was trying to draw the batsman into playing the big shot Cameron Green come down a couple of times belted him over his head you know he ran past one should have been out Travis Head ran down a pitch a couple of times belted him over his head and you know what he got Travis Head out because he wanted that Ben Stokes kept the men in to bring the full shot. Ben Stokes was gambling a little bit and saying, right, you can have 16, 20 runs. I'm not bothered if you hit him over your head, but if you mistime that, I've got two fielders ready and waiting to catch and pounce. And we've seen that captaincy from with Jack Leach over the course of the last 12 months. And he's going to do that with Mo and Ali. And I think Mo and Ali could easily have had three or four wickets today. Got in contact with us. Uh, she says, folks in, Bearstow to open. Then rotate Crawley and Duckett. Bowlers are rotated throughout a series. Uh, why not batters? What do you say to that? <sighs> yeah, again, you, how do you get 11, 11 men out, out of a 13-man group that everybody wants to play? My argument is, and it always has been when it comes to selection, especially in a team that's winning, if somebody has to come into the side, do not make three positional changes to bring one person in. If you bring Johnny Bairstow in, you're telling him, you're saying he has got to come in for Ben Folks because you feel the better all-round package. Do not try and fudge it. We've tried to fudge it in the past. We've had Bairstow to three. Didn't work. We, some people are asking Stokes to open. Why on earth would you have Stokes open? Crawley and Ducker are opening batters. If they're not performing, they go out and an open batter comes in. Bairstow doesn't bat any higher than five in my position, in my opinion, in this team. So for me, it was either Bairstow or Folks. And England, I thought, made the right choice. Even though he's missed a couple of chances, there will be a time where England get 100 off 80 balls off Johnny Bairstow and everybody will go, what a brilliant 100 that was. And I'll come back to them every single time and say, for, for all as much I as told I love Bairstow. So. Not I told you so, but could Ben Stoke, Ben Folks do that? And the answer would probably be no. OK. Jared uh, well, yeah, that's, what, that's what we're here for. Uh, um, Jared Kimber has uh, obviously been a part of uh, what we're doing here on Talk Sport in terms of cricket for the last uh, four or five years, going back a bit further actually than that, and he's been providing his own end-of-play report, and he's brought us one here on Talk Sport. So when David Warner started his career, bowlers with right arm pace would bowl around the wicket to him 20% of the time. 
Now it's got up to 60% of the time and after days like today, it might go even higher. And the truth is that if you are a left-handed batter, you've completely changed the kind of career that you need to have. Before, if you faced anyone bowling around the wicket to you, it would happen quite rare. And when it would happen, it would usually be when you made a lot of runs. Now, they start there straight away. And Stuart Broad has had the majority of his success by bowling that way to him. And Warner hasn't really found a way to handle it. The interesting thing is that there are quite a few other left-handers in this Australian team who actually prefer it. And perhaps at times today, England probably bowled too much for them. For instance, there's only a handful of cricketers in the world who bat left-handed who actually prefer left-arm seam bowlers to come around the wicket to them. They happen to be Travis Head, Usman Khawaja and Alex Carey. If you look at the scorecard today, you would suggest that England probably bowled too much around the wicket to them. Remember that England were ahead of the game when it comes to bowling around the wicket and getting on top of this. And their bowlers are now really, really used to doing it. And they happen to come up against a bunch of Australian left-handers who don't mind it at all. Warner is the exception and it is worth pointing out that there is almost no way that you can justify his dismissal today just by the fact that they bowled around the wicket to him because I don't think there's any way that anyone could ever justify the way that David Warner went out today. Well, Stuart Broad might disagree with that but uh, yeah that was uh, Jared Kimber looking at uh, David Warner's innings today and uh, the battle that he's enjoyed or endured with Stuart Broad. And I'm pleased to say that Sam Perry from the Great Cricketer podcast will be joining us here at Edgbaston very, very shortly indeed. You're listening to Following On, Ash's Inquest. On DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following On, Ash's Inquest on TalkSport 2. What a performance. Sam Perry, stop taking uh, selfies. <laughs> uh, Sam, uh, for uh, listeners who are, aren't aware, Sam is part of a, a duo, the great cricketer, very, very popular um, in Australia, even more popular in India and uh, less popular here because we just don't like Australians crowing about Australian cricket. Most of the Australians over here don't seem to like Australia, but you are uh, different. You do very much love your, uh, your team. Um, I do have a question for you. So listeners won't realise, but you arrived in England yesterday mm. and you got the train up from Euston at about 8am. You made it. Did you make the first? Did you see Zach Crawley's four? I certainly did. Now, so at the end of yesterday, Steve Thomas and myself, we said that we were looking at the scorecard and looking back at the day's play. And we just couldn't work out what to think. You know, were we angry? Were we upset? Were we happy? Were we, were we, dist- you know, were we confused? I mean, England were ahead, then they weren't, then they were, then they weren't. What was it like watching that being jet lagged? Uh, it was dizzying. Yeah, everything about it was dizzying. And on top of that, I did hear your early jibes uh, there, John, that uh, we have bigger Indian fans and that I very much love my team. Uh, I heard that. I heard the subtext of that. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was really dizzying, particularly having travelled 24 hours on a plane uh, and getting straight on the train up to Birmingham, blokes drinking beers and wines all the way, and then seeing Zach Crawley destroy Pat Cummins through the covers for four. And you're just thinking, is this another Rory Burns, Steve Harmison moment? You know, is, is, is this a symbol? Because as an Australian, you're not 
uh, allowed to show your like your uh, enjoyment or excitement for baseball. I mean, it's something that we should be doing as a country, but now we're the boring ones, you know. And that that identity doesn't sit well with us. So publicly, we're going to meet it with skepticism. It won't work against us, etc. But when Crawley cracked him through the covers, it just showed us that baseball is here. And we, I felt exactly the same. On top of the fog of my jet lag, I was completely dizzied by everything that went on. Nothing kind of conformed to the prisms through which I understand cricket. And so privately, Australians are scared. Sam, Sam, I seen I seen your your piece this morning. Uh, two of you standing outside the ground and talking about Cummins, and my name got mentioned along with Rory Burns, just like it did there. And I was going to text you. I was going to go. At least Pat's hit the cut strip. Mine didn't hit the cut strip. They were talking about my <laughs> ball and Pat's in the same same way. He had a deep point. You know, it brought back the memories of of that game. I think at Old Trafford when I was I bowled the first ball at I think Sanas Jayasuriya in Ian Botham's going. What on earth have they got a deep point for in this game? And then the ball, first ball, went straight to a deep point. I think Sajid Mahmood on the boundary. But what about Pat's tactics? Forget his ball because his ball wasn't as bad as anything as mine or Rory Burns's is miss on, on first ball of previous Ashes. But what about Pat Cummins's tactics? Because did he get it wrong or did he learn a lot from yesterday? Well, first thing I want to say, Harmi, is um, I genuinely didn't know you were on this call and I wouldn't have said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have name-checked you. John just asked me to come down for a chat. Um, I, look... You know, I could give you the grade cricketer answer or the Sam Perry answer. I mean, really, like for for me, I feel like uh, Australia showed respect for baseball yesterday, and I feel like Australia. The cricketing answer is that they uh, they came to a conclusion that England wanted to. That England are addicted to boundaries and the momentum that comes from it, so they tried to deny them that. And I think with England at five for one seventy, and then even just finishing their innings on three ninety on what was a pretty placid wicket, to put it lightly, I'd say vindicates the tactics. But from a grade cricketer perspective, it was un-Australian. Uh, it wasn't yeah. aggressive enough. Uh, and I, I did understand that a lot of our commentators from former generations were uh, a little bit upset that it didn't have the kind of the feel of Aussies, you know, going for blood. But I don't know what you meant to do when you've got guys who are just walking at 140 k's an hour, working you through the leg side on, on a, uh, as I said, a very, very docile wicket. So I thought his tactics were fine. What about that declaration then? Yeah, I mean, again, again, just it's it's like Ben Stokes never wants you to think you know what he's doing. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so, and and again, that's you know that that is a psychological ploy, obviously. Uh, like he he just clearly lives for the vibe, the momentum, and the entertainment factor. I mean, he just wanted to line up that heavyweight bout between Broad and Warner and back his his man in. And I suppose the cricketing factor of it is like let's give ourselves enough time to take the twenty wickets. Uh, but I thought that. You know, England could have just put Australia to the sword in the first innings, made 500, 600, and Australia just, you know, basically be lambs to the slaughter. But uh, he's just doing it his way. And, you know, I mean, what can you say? It was entertaining. The crowd was up and about. It was. But what about now, though? Because mm. now it seems like Australia, they're the ones with the advantage. I mean, there's, there's 82 runs. There's still, there's still a decent amount of runs to play with. But come 2 p.m. tomorrow, if Australia's still batting, you know, it's, it's allowed you in, hasn't it? 
Uh, yeah, it's it's it, another really funny day today. I mean, I, I personally think England is still ahead of the game. I think that they're only one wicket away from a pretty uh, soft tail, and I think that England will do more damage in the second innings with the bat. And because that, of the pace at which they score, Australia is going to be very hard-pressed to try and either chase, uh, given Stokes' really creative tactics with the bowling and stuff, or to try and see it out, uh, given how much the ball is turning. And Moen got enough to rag today that I think will leave them a little bit worried. Uh, so I still think England's a little bit ahead. I'm disappointed with a lot of dismissals from the Aussies today. I feel like I'm talking too seriously about this now. <laughs> I, I thought, a few, I thought, I thought th- th- there should have been two century makers today uh, on on this deck. But um, I, I suppose that's credit to England. Alex Carey batted well. Uh, I don't know. I feel I feel like McCullum and Stokes really live for the entertainment factor. They just want it to look good and feel good, and and so far they're delivering on that. And Sam, speaking of entertainment factor, what about the great cricket? It's coming to a theatre. I have to say, we haven't fallen out. I, I am not coming to Leeds, but I've got a replacement for <laughs> for Sam we, uh, before anybody puts two and two together um, because he didn't know I was on a call. But you've got Glenn Maxwell coming to Birmingham. You've got Ian Bell to Birmingham. You've got Phil Salt to, to Manchester and, and now Ryan Sybottom to, to Leeds. Uh, yeah. how, talking about entertainment factor, how, how good a crack that going to be? Uh, we're we're so excited, Harmy, because we haven't. We, we came to England four years ago to do these live shows. Uh, we're a little bit of a different group then, not as uh, like as big, I suppose, as we are now. And people are coming in droves. We've sold so many tickets to these shows. Really looking forward to chatting with um, Glenn Maxwell tomorrow night. Then it's Belly in Birmingham for the second night. There's still some tickets for that one uh, for for the Ian Bell show on Monday night. Yeah, then we go. It was Phil Sold in Manchester. Uh, it was going to be you, but you pulled out, uh, knowing that I was about to sledge you on the show. <laughs> uh, in Leeds, and then we go to London for three shows as well. We got Ricky Ponting on the first night in Ali Pally, then uh, Graeme Swan, then Michael Vaughan to finish things off in the next two nights. And yeah, we're, we're really pumped with how many tickets we sold. It's a very loose show; it's nowhere near as serious as how I'm talking now about the actual Ashes. But it, it, it's loose, it's fun, it's a bit of an absurd take on basketball and all of the uh, changes that have happened in cricket all through history. And uh, and look, we've done these live shows so many times; it's a lot of fun. P- people normally have a couple of drinks, and uh, then there's questions from the audience at the end, which is probably where it gets loosest. Uh, because we haven't been here for four years, we're really pumped to see everybody and, uh, and and just say thanks for all the support we've had over the last few years. Okay, so before the Border Gavaska Trophy, before the World Test Championship final, before the Ashes, and you're, you have to put them in order of which one you want to see, how does it go? Oh, a- Ashes. It's a- I mean, sorry, because of your comment earlier, I mean, it's got to be Border Gavaska, <laughs> uh, John. You know, I, I, I must serve my Indian audience you know, at, at, their, at their whim. It's a little uh, bit of an in-joke for people who uh, aren't aware, <laughs> but essentially there's yeah. this kind of feeling within the world of YouTube that everything that's put on YouTube, cricket-related, and me and Harmy had our own show for a while. We did, we, yeah, we did the same thing. When Indy were playing and we were... What a brilliant shot from Vera. <laughs> what do you mean, same thing? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I guarantee we do cover Indian cricket. We started doing it. No, you've uh, gone the other way, though. Yeah. We, we, now we, you've gone. We give them a little bit of stick. A and little we, bit. And we, and we get uh, trolled hard. But, yeah. uh, but you know, a lot, of, a lot of Indian people like it. So it's good. <laughs> they do indeed. <laughs> and so do a lot of English. And, of course, Australian. Um, Sam, brilliant stuff. You can, uh, I think there's still a couple of tickets available for that lead show if you are, are in town. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And you want to head along. Harmy won't be there, but then uh, you might get enough of Harmy on Talk Sports. He's on every show. So, um, and we'll be back tomorrow as well, Harmy. Who knows what we're going to be talking about? Well, we'll be talking about cricket, but uh, what the state of the game will be, we will uh, have to wait and see. Big thanks to Sam. Uh, big thanks to Jared as well. Bumble, Sam Ellard, uh, as well as you, Harmy, and Scott Taylor behind the uh, glass uh, back in London. We'll be back tomorrow, same time after day three of the first test of the Ashes and you've been listening to following on Ashes Inquest.